how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Screenwriter and director Boaz Yekin has helped create films such as The Rookie, Prince of Persia, and Safe, along with franchise hits like Now You See Me and Max. These movies allow for him to pursue passion projects as a screenwriter. In his latest film, Boarding School, he's developed a horror-inspired hero's journey for adolescents. Yakin describes the studio films as being one of 20 writers on a project, but he's more appreciative of the films that are more personally moving to him, such as Fresh, A Price Above Rubies, Death and Love, and of course, Boarding School. During this interview, he talks about his balance between studio and independent films, how he never had a backup plan, what it's like to create impressionable characters, and how he created this unusual new film, Boarding School. I, I come from a pretty theatrical family. I mean, my parents were pantomimes when I was growing up. Um, my dad's a theater director, and I grew up watching him direct in the theater, and my mom was also a teacher and a, a director. And um, so I grew up, you know, uh, I grew up in that environment, and actually when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, uh, my dad uh, asked Stella Adler, asked the great Stella Adler to allow me to attend her script interpretation courses, uh, which was almost unheard of for someone my age, and, and um, I got to study with her for two years when I was in high school, which was one of the most important things I ever was exposed to in my life. So in a lot of ways, my entire young life was sort of structured around film and theater and so on. And so it was sort of an outcome of all that. Do you remember like a certain lesson uh, you learned from that or just kind of the general, you know, getting started with writing and that kind of thing? Oh, I, I guess I just mean like, you know, I, uh, hard for me to ever imagine at that time being a person who wasn't going to be somehow expressing himself either as a writer or a director or theater or acting or whatever this I like, could not have imagined myself as a doctor or a lawyer, you know? Um, so that was always going to be part of what I pursued some way or another. So you probably get this version of this question a lot, but I mean, you've got a, a variety of films. There's like Prince of Persia, there's uh, The Rookie, The Punisher, Now You See Me, and now your new film, Boarding School. 
I guess the typical question is how do you, you know, move around so much, but I really, why do you think everyone else is kind of so, you know, pigeonholed into one genre for the most part? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. What is interesting is that almost every movie that you just mentioned, as opposed to boarding school, which is the new one, those are like, those are on your credits. They're on IMDb. Those are writing jobs where you're like one of 20 writers on any one of those movies. And, Maybe you contributed enough to like have, you know, a screen credit or whatever. But none of those things are actually the things that I have tried to make or that have been more personally, um, you know, uh, engendered. Like you know, like Fresh or Price Above Rubies or Death and Love. Like these are movies I wrote and directed that came from me, so to speak, um, and the new one in boarding school. Um, so I've tried to balance career, I would have much rather just been able to make independent films of the type that I just mentioned to you. But in order to pay the bills and actually in order to pay for these movies, I've had to like make more commercial, I've had to make more commercial movies and write things like that to pay the bills and also have enough money to put back into these things. Um, So it's been a kind of a bifurcated career in that way. And I will say that because my interests tend to take me to different genres and different styles and so on, that it has made me harder to pigeonhole. And that even though I've been lucky enough to be a professional person working in the film business for the last 30 years or whatever it's been, um, it's made it much, much harder to get certain things that I've wanted to get done done because people don't know where to place me. Even till this day, it's hard to get writing jobs and things like that because they're going to give that job to the person who did something in that genre that made some money more recently. Um, whereas when you move around a lot and you do independent films and then you studio film and that, people are like, who is this guy? I have no idea what to do with him. You know what I mean? Um, people's imaginations are fairly limited in that regard. Um, but my interests tend to be varied and I like to keep it moving. So I've just decided to try it like this. So what kind of attracts you, like, let's look at the, uh, your example, your first directorial debut with Fresh and also the recent film Boarding School. Uh, what kind of inspires you to, you know, put the, a very young protagonist in these roles? Well, I mean, looking at a lot of the stuff I've done, it, it always seems there are kids in, at least if the movies aren't actually about kids, that kids play a very, very important role in them. And I, I guess, we tend to focus on a part of our lives that um, was very striking to us. And, and I think that, that that age between like 11 years old and 13, that very specific age where like you're not a kid anymore, you're not a child anymore, but you're not even a teenager yet. And you're a bit powerless, but you're just starting to get a sense of what the world is like. And, and I think that's a really fascinating moment in life. And I think in maybe in my own life, that might be the most memorable. And like, I have the most connection to that part of myself. Like, like some people identify with their teenage self or with their, their self in the twenties or whatever. I I always find that I feel either like a kid or an old man um, and not much in between. You know what I mean? Like, like when I feel, I feel either like I'm freaking 70 years old and I can walk or I feel like I'm this 10 year old kid like that just the world has this amazing, frightening, open quality uh, to 
And so I, I, I think that that's why I keep going back to that age. I'm curious uh, where you mentioned the stellar Adler. I wonder if it's because you kind of you know knew what you wanted to do younger than most people. I guess most people are in their 20s, and that's when they start writing and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. What's the what's the question? So I was just got more of a comment. So <laughs> just saying that maybe you realize what you wanted to do sooner. So that's kind of what draws you to those characters versus most people may realize they want to be a screenwriter later in their 20s or something like that. Maybe. I, I actually thought I wanted to be an actor at that point, to tell you the truth. Um, and uh, my dad was a teacher at Juilliard. Um, you know, I, I auditioned for Juilliard when I was like 17 years old, 18. And, and I didn't get in, even though my dad was a teacher there. And they were like, if you're, interest, if you're really interested, come back next year. And I immediately got into City College and started putting little movies together. And I was like, Thank God I didn't get in because that was not my destiny. And immediately I, I knew I wanted to be a, a filmmaker, you know. So I've, I've always been grateful for the fact that I didn't get in. So let's talk about the new film. Where did this original idea come from for boarding school? I wrote it a while back, so I no longer remember the actual original idea. But I know that the character and the feeling of the character is something that I've wanted to explore for a long time. This idea of dealing with your sexuality, your sense of um, ethnicity, and with owning all these things that you feel make you weak, uh, and that those are the things that actually, by embracing them, make you stronger. Um, that was, I think, emotionally and thematically the initial inspiration for this. Was there any cinema that influenced you? I mean, uh, broad strokes, people may see like a, a boy in a dress, think of something like Psycho, even though it's not not in the same vein. What, what were something that may have influenced you cinematically? I love, I mean, I love all genres, you know, but there, there's a type of film that has horrific or dreamlike elements in it that isn't exactly what you'd call a horror movie, but to me are some of the greatest horror movies ever made. And um, I, like the movies that influenced me in terms of this movie are pretty diverse, but like I think strong influences like Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter. Um, uh, David Lynch's Blue Velvet was a huge influence. Um, Pedro Almodovar made a movie called La Mala Educación or The Bad Education, which isn't really a horror movie, but has this kind of pot boiler expressionistic sense of being a child and, and identity and sexuality and all that, that was very, very influential on this movie. Um, Polanski's movie, um, The Tenant, which actually does deal with somebody who uh, gets obsessed with a woman's clothing and, and ends up slowly taking on her personality. That's a movie that always stuck with me and that definitely had elements that I, I drew from in this. Um, you know, I, I think that what I tried to do with this movie that's different, say, than what Psycho did or, or the Polanski movie did is that I think often in horror films that the feminine represents a kind of a hysteria and a lack of control and a kind of um, something really negative in the character that is exploring that aspect of their personalities. You know, even in Silence of the Lambs, like the, the villain is like tucking his penis away and, and stuff like that. And, and it, what I wanted to do was actually, within the context of a horror movie, do a hero's journey, you know, where... What you have is instead of the main character, which in superhero stories or whatever, it's always about a boy finding his father's sword, you know, which is a very phallic kind of masculine 
process, so to speak. That's the, the archetypal male hero's journey. I wanted to do a movie about a kid who finds his grandmother's dress, and actually it's by like embracing his feminine side and the ferocity and passion of his feminine side that he's able to overcome and be heroic. Um, so that's sort of how that came about. Um, but yeah, those movies that I just mentioned, oh, also very much there's an incredible movie by a guy, by a director called George Fangju called The Eyes Without a Face. I don't know if you know it, um, but it's from the 60s and it's a black and white French film that I think is the greatest horror film ever made. Um, that was a big influence as well. So I've read some other interviews you've done about the film. Uh, you know, some of these darker themes, obviously there's violence. You can kind of, you know, show the violence off camera where the kids might not be in the room and that kind of thing. But how do you go about, you know, maybe explaining some of these themes to some degree to these young actors like uh, Luke Prell, your star, who's really just just getting started as far as like big films like this? How do you kind of explain that character and the theme with the, with the children? Well, again, they're not quite children because they're 12, 13, right? Um, so they're more sophisticated than kids, and kids these days actually are exposed to a lot by the time. You know, I'm always shocked at how much, as opposed to when I was a kid, um, how much kids these days have been exposed to by the time they're 13 years old, the kinds of movies they've seen, you know, and so on. And um, I think each person you talk to within the context of whatever level it is that you think they're able to appreciate and understand and get the performance from, I mean... I think that there's a lot of layers in this movie and a lot of subtext that that kids didn't get, nor would I want them to be able to get. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they have to understand enough in order to convey the emotion of the scene and the character, but they don't have to understand all the crazy shit that's actually going on underneath the scene. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I try to do it in a way that um, is respectful, but also respectful of the age and the breadth of their particular experience and what I think they can accommodate. Um, in terms of this movie, both Luke and Sterling Jones, who plays Christine, you know, Sterling's been making movies since she was six. She's made more movies than I have. Um, and Luke's dad is a character actor. Uh, both of their families actually are best friends and they grew up together. Um, and, I think that they had a very strong foundation for exploring things that are challenging. That doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. I mean, it, it was really difficult for Luke to put on the dress and do scenes, knowing that people in high school and so on were going to see him in this. You know, um, it, w it was really emotionally challenging for him. Um, so, yeah, you go through it. So let's talk about, you've worked with uh, Will Patton, plays Dr. Sherman in the film. You guys have worked together on Remember the Titans um, did you kind of write the role or do you ever write roles with actors in mind or how did you kind of reach out for him for this film? Um, I don't write roles with actors in mind. I, I haven't done that since I was very, very young. Um, I, I kind of just try and write the, the part and then see who makes sense for it and who's available and all that. Because, you know, in the reality of this world, chances that you're going to get the actor that you wrote it for are probably one in a thousand, you know? Um, so, no. But Will is someone that I've always wanted to work with again, and he's just such an amazing character and such an amazing character actor uh, that I knew whatever we would try would be different than it would be with anyone else. Um, and truthfully, at first, the part was written almost for a more standard British or, or New England kind of a guy, you know? 
And when Will and I sat down to talk about the character, we were like, how can we do this more interesting, more different than it would otherwise be? And Will started talking about how he felt his character should reflect some part of Jacob's psychology, you know, and suddenly it hit me that like we should basically give him a Brooklyn accent and basically have him be like evil Henry Miller, basically like, like give him that old school educated Brooklyn accent. That's a little comical at the same time, you know, people who say Perlet and Feist and stuff like that. Um, but they're also literary and brilliant. I was like, to me, that contrast of a guy that is menacing and, and, and scary, but also has a slightly buffoonish quality to him. Will really embrace that, and I don't think anyone could have done it more interestingly than he did. So you've mentioned the differences. I mean, you've got some great, you know, credits under your belt. Even if you're kind of, you know, coming in as, is like you said, like one of thirty or one of multiple writers. Was this a spec script, or what are some of the differences between, you know, boarding school and then possibly like the Now You See Me franchise and your writing process? Well, the difference is that when writing something like boarding school. I'm writing it knowing that I want to direct it, that I'm going to make it for a low enough budget. Um, and I'm writing it for, from a completely, for lack of a better word, personal place, right? Whereas something like Now You See Me, which is actually my friend Ed Reichort's idea, and Ed asked me to write it with him. Um, when you're writing that kind of thing, you're basically writing it trying to engage executives and have it be something that they think they can make money with. Like, there's very little of the personal that goes into that. It doesn't mean that you don't try and do your best and do a good job and do good writing and so on. I mean, in Hollywood, people always have this, Larry McMurtry wrote about it, that like, you know, there's this, because it's creative work, people always want to hear how passionate you are about things, you know? So even if you're coming in to write, you know, you know the, the, the dog that turns into a superhero, you know, when you take the meeting, you have to come in and be like, oh, I have a dog that I love so much, and I've always wanted a dog to be a superhero. It's so important to me. As opposed to saying, you know, look, I need to pay some bills. I'll do a great job for you, bada-bing, you know? And it's way more honest, and you will probably do a better job than the person who had a dog that they wish was a superhero, you know? Um, and so I think the emotional and intellectual approach is completely different. When you're writing something for an independent film, for yourself to direct or whatever, you're focused on ideas and themes and a way of expressing things that's interesting and engaging to you, you know? Um, whereas when you're writing something for commercial purposes, you're writing something that you are going to try and make engaging for studio executives and for a mass audience through their perspective. Um, and it's a completely different process. Well, with, within that, I mean, if you're writing, if nothing else, low budget, I imagine there's more limitations as far as what can happen. Does that make you kind of dive into more of a psychological nature with the characters as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that because, you know, you're working with a lower budget, but it, it also frees you up to explore themes and ideas and in a way and, and in a ways of exploring them that you don't get to do in bigger movies. You get to take, the, you know, you could never make a this boarding school is a seriously kinky movie about twelve year olds. Um, it's very rare for an American movie, first of all, to approach teen, you know, preteen sexuality and ideas the way this movie does. Um, and there'd certainly be no way to do it in a movie that was even a moderately budgeted horror film, you know. Um, so 
it, while it does box you in in terms of, you know, you can't have crane shots and, you know, and all kinds of things, it, it allows you to explore themes and ideas in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Um, you know, I, one of the things, I, I, I was one of those people that lamented the demise of film and how beautiful film is, uh, having come from the generation that shot in film and so on. But on the other hand, like, I just finished shooting another independent film that is the most experimental and challenging and fun movie I think I've ever made. And it deals with gender identity, and it's a dance film that has contemporary dance in it, and it deals with a relationship in a way that I think no one's ever done and expressed a relationship before. And I made it for half the budget that I made boarding school for, and I shot it in New York, in Paris, in L.A. Like, it has a cast of, like, 100 people, and it has no budget. And we were able to do that because, you know, using digital photography and being able to do things the way you're able to do them now that you weren't able to even 15, 20 years ago, you are able to make independent movies for budgets that once wouldn't have even covered a third of a budget for an indie. Um, so that's exciting. And you're really able to try things out that you weren't able to before, you know? The film you were just mentioning have a name, or is there anything else you want to say about boarding school before we wrap up? The, the film I just mentioned, yeah, it's called Aviva. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.